0: When I was getting my first few rentals, I found networking at a local RAI club absolutely a waste of time. Most of the people you network with, especially in random networking events, will not lead to anything. The running joke amongst sophisticated investors is that the local real estate club is the worst place for us passive investors to find peers because it's just a bunch of broke people. That's why people are seeking real estate advice to get unbroke. Hashtag BP. For the same reason, I am turned off by the 10x Grant Cardone followers because they are really a ninja in disguise. No income, no job, no assets. In some cases, they have a scarcity mindset motivated individual willing to step over whoever they need so they are not broke anymore. For more networking tips, go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash people. Since 2016, I've given hundreds, almost thousands of free calls to my podcast listeners and now you can chat with me, but you got to join the Hui Deal Pipeline Club. I do this to filter the right people into my circle. I'm always watching and taking notes. Tip. I give freely and generously to who, those who reciprocates and exhibits generosity. Some people are givers and other takers. I have left so much money on the table giving out free advice, contacts, and resources. This is the way I filter people who I want to work with in the future. Ultimately, I play the long game. The Mastermind Journey to Simple Passive Cashflow is a platform to find like-minded, curated, not broke people or jerks and the best chance for a busy adult to meet lifelong friends even when you have graduated from the program. For the price I'm offering for the networking alone, it's worth it. (sighs) But wait! By the way, you get 27 weeks of organized content and bi-weekly semi-private coaching calls too. Simplepassivecashflow.com backslash journey to learn more. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went, tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. And the Fed helped
1: pay for that by creating three and a half trillion dollars out of thin air and buying government bonds through quantitative easing, all without creating any significant inflation at the CPI level whatsoever. And so this is what we're going to see more of in the future. As long as globalization persists, we're not going to have high rates of inflation at the CPI level, and it's going to take more fiscal stimulus from the government and more quantitative easing from the Fed to keep the economy growing. Now, many people find this alarming. I mean, common sense suggests this is somewhat alarming. But whether you like the idea or not like the idea, you should recognize that this is the most likely scenario of what is going to happen. You you might prefer that it you know, play out in some other way, but it's probably not going to. If you want to understand the financial markets, you have to understand the reality rather
0: than ideally what you would like to see. Got some dry powder, right? We, the interest rates have gone up to two and a half, and ideally, you know, it took us a long time to get there, and we've got some dry powder to go back down. Where is this kind of coming to a head with you know the United States putting tariffs on China imports? Where where do you think this is going and and as it sort of keeps escalating? So
1: this is a real worry, of course, because on the one hand, if we have an all-out trade war with China and globalization breaks down, then we won't have access to cheap labor. And in that case, if the government runs a very large budget deficit and the Fed creates a lot of paper money and we don't have globalization anymore to keep the deflationary forces Flowing, then we're going to end up with high rates of inflation. And if inflation goes up, then of course interest rates in the U.S. would move much higher. And if interest rates move much higher, then the stock market would crash, and creating a very negative wealth effect. And at the same time, credit would contract because it would be less affordable. And that would also cause a very severe economic crisis. So the great greatest danger of facing uh, our our future is the possibility that we would have higher interest, higher inflation if globalization collapses. On the other hand, it is true that uh, China, China is, is a threat to, to the future of, of the United States uh, in that it is growing so rapidly, it is going to soon overtake the United States as the most powerful economy and technological and military superpower if current trends continue and it is true that they have manipulated their currency for decades and at the same time that they forced technology transfers and protected their markets unfairly so that can't be allowed to the, the current trends can't be allowed to continue either if the united states is going to retain its its global preeminence and security so we need to find a a strategy that will allow us to continue to have globalization, but to allow us to grow rapidly as well. So given all of these circumstances, I think the best strategy would be for, for the United States government to borrow and invest in new industries and technologies very aggressively. I believe the government is going to continue having these massive budget deficits in any case. So we need to have a public discussion about how the government is going to spend this money. Of course, they could spend it wastefully, having a war with Iran, for instance, or having a war and continue to have excess consumption. Or they could spend the money investing in 21st century technologies. They could invest invest aggressively in artificial intelligence, genetic engineering, biotech, nanotech, neurosciences, uh, robotics, and green energy on such an aggressive scale that it would induce a new technological revolution. And it would allow the United States to continue to maintain its global preeminence. It would make the economy grow much faster. And it would create technological miracles and medical marvels that would improve the health and well-being of not only every American, but everyone alive. So in this, where we find ourselves in this unique moment in history, where the government really has no choice but to continue borrowing and spending and the Fed can finance this through paper money creation, this gives us an opportunity to invest in these new industries on a very aggressive scale. And if we do that, not only will we continue to keep the economy out of depression, but as I said, we will induce a technological revolution that will vastly improve human well-being.
0: So I think the average real estate investors out there thinking to themselves, I mean, it all kind of sounds like Star Wars to them. It's very in something outside even our country you know we're, we've been told to think that you know market cycles last and even from 8 to 12 years and now we're in the sort of the longest ones ever is that 8 to 12 year rule still apply or has this kind of just been blown out into the water who knows how long this bull market will last
1: right uh, so yes this is the longest expansion of the economy ever and it hasn't been a very, it hasn't been a very strong expansion. Normally after you have a recession, the bounce back is a few years of very rapid economic growth, which we've never had in this expansion. But the only reason we had any bounce back at all is because of government intervention with these huge budget deficits and this extraordinary amount of paper money creation. So right now the, the total debt of the US government is just a little bit larger than the US economy. The U- government debt is about 106% of GDP, so just a little larger than the economy. So this is almost as high as it was at the peak of World War II. But, and so therefore, many people think that this, uh, this is, we're on the brink of disaster and the government's about to go bankrupt, et cetera, et cetera. But that's just not true. Japan, for example, the Japanese economy went into crisis in 1990. And at that time, their government debt to GDP was 60%. Well, since then, almost every year, they've had very high budget deficits. And their government debt is now 240% of GDP. So the U.S. economy is roughly $20 trillion in size. So that means the government debt is something like $20 trillion, let's say. So the U.S. government could borrow and spend an an extra $20 trillion before it even hit 200% government debt to GDP, whereas Japan's already now 240. And of course, if the government borrowed and spent that much money, the economy would grow by 10% every year. So we would never get to 200% debt to GDP. So we have the potential to continue growing government debt realistically, again, I know many of your listeners must be cringing at this thought, but there is nothing to stop U.S. government debt from continuing to grow for not only years, but decades. And so the sensible approach is just to come up with a good strategy on how to use this money that the government is going to borrow, rather than using it wastefully. They say that Japan wasted all this government money by building bridges to nowhere and paving the Japanese countryside with cement. If they had understood in 1990 how much government debt their government was going to take on over the next 30 years, they would have come up with a brilliant plan on how to invest that money in new industries and technologies. But they didn't. So the US can learn from the Japanese experience. Our government debt is going to continue to grow. What we need to decide is how to use this debt to improve the well-being of, of everyone in our country uh, by investing in new industries and technologies. That's my recurring theme. But uh, from a business perspective and an investment perspective, um, I think it would probably be a mistake at this point to assume that the end is nigh and to, you know, and to you know, bury your gold in the backyard, for instance, because the end is not nigh. This is going to continue for a long, long time. We're not on the brink of bankruptcy. And as long as there's no inflation, there's, this can go on for decades. So the biggest threat to our prosperity, a visible threat at least, is that globalization completely breaks down and trade tariffs go up around the world. And then we don't have the deflationary forces from globalization and we get high rates of inflation and then all, then all bets are off. In that case, we could, we could have a very serious depression. But until that happens, I would not be. I would. I think people should not fear that we're about. The U.S. government is on the verge of bankruptcy any time in the, in our lifetime.
0: Unless something trips us up for the short term and puts us into another, you know, maybe little recession, like a tri- China trade war going haywire or something like that.
1: That's right, and of course, all kinds of things that could go wrong. I mean, if the China the trade war, the, our trade war, in fact, has already become something of a cold war. And it's not inconceivable that the cold war could become a hot war. So in that scenario, certainly all bets are off and everything could go terribly, terribly
0: wrong. So where is this trade war going? I mean, it, right now, the United States is doing tariffs on imports now. I guess putting yourself in the perspective of the Chinese, I mean, it's, basically on them, or is it on the United States to sort of propose an end to this? So my interpretation of what,
1: what is happening is that, and of course, at first, when, when President Trump was running for office, it wasn't, we couldn't know for sure whether he really meant what he was saying about China or not and, and stopping China. And the first year they focused on cutting taxes, and once that was done, though, then he did turn his attention to China and starting started to, to ramp up this trade war gradually and then more aggressively. And we've seen Vice President Pence made a speech in November last year that called China out on on a, on a broad number of fronts, not only economic but political and across the spectrum of. We know that President Trump is being advised by Peter Navarro and other. China trade hawks, Peter Navarra, as you know, has written a book called "Death by China" and a number of other books with similarly alarming titles. And these people really do, really, really believe that China is a, a grave threat to the future of the United States, and they want to stop China's rise. So it's become, I think, it's become clear that this trade war is not just about trying to balance trade. But it really does seem to be about trying to stop China's growth and prevent China from overtaking the United States. So right now, we've reached the point where we have tariffs, 25% tariffs on more than $300 billion worth of Chinese imports. And it looks like there is a, a pause. President Trump, of course, has to be concerned about how the economy is going to be between now and the election in November next year. He doesn't want to take further actions that will slow the economy so much that he loses the election. So we may see some sort of truce where things don't become worse, but things don't become better. And then after the election, if he is reelected, I would imagine that that he will further intensify the pressure on China and continue hiking rates, tariffs, in order to damage China's economy. And China is not going to give in. They're, they're simply not going to do what President Trump is demanding. In fact, what he's demanding has almost been designed to ensure that they can't comply with what he's demanding. They're not going to do that. So
0: there's a the real possibility. Like, it's sort of like starving or smoking out China, right? At some point, they, they're not in the, weak, in the strongest position internally to outlast these kinds of trade demands are they in a better position or are they in a weaker position at some point they have to cave in? Well,
1: they're not likely to cave in because they have, you know, they don't, they don't, no one in China has to stand for election ever. So there's the Chinese people can endure a whole lot of pain before, I mean, they would effectively take a revolution to force the Chinese government to, to do something it doesn't want to do. And, and that's not going to happen, it's extremely unlikely. So, so they're not, I don't think they are going to give in, but if the, the danger is, is that, so the trade war does intensify, we put up higher tariffs. On the one hand, there's the risk that China's economy will slow down, go into significant recession, which will drag the world into significant recession. That's one danger. and In that case, we continue to see low interest rates, perhaps. But the other danger is that if you put trade tariffs on all of Chinese goods, that's going to push up, of course, the price of Chinese goods that are sold in Walmart, and that will push up interest rates, inflation and interest rates. So the other scenario is that tr- tariffs ultimately result in higher inflation in the U.S. and higher interest rates, and that crashes the U.S. economy it could be a, it could play out badly either way
0: or maybe they cancel each other out i mean is that a possibility
1: well at the moment that seems to be what has been happening we've had these higher tariffs but the tariffs really didn't the 25% tariffs really didn't go into effect until the end of june so it's going to be interesting to see over the next several months what the knock-on effect of that is on prices in in Walmart on consumer goods. Uh, But thus far, we haven't seen any significant impact on prices. But again, the prices really, the tariffs just took effect full effect at the end of June. So we'll have to wait and see, but it's it's a worry. And of course, if China's economy goes into a severe crisis, there's no telling how they will respond. Um, For instance we should keep in mind some history lessons. In June of 1941, the United States put an oil embargo on Japan. And six months later, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. So if there is a risk that the U.S. measures drive China's economy into a severe crisis, that they will respond in ways
0: that don't only involve economics. Right, right. So I guess, um, you know, many things ahead. and Other than the the China trade war, what's the kind of the secondary bump along the road that you're seeing coming up that could derail this uh, party drain?
1: Well, so again, I'd just like to emphasize, so rather than going down this road where we, you know, force China's economy into crisis with severe global repercussions, it would be a better strategy for the U.S. to for the government to borrow and invest in new industries and technologies on a very aggressive scale so that we can rev up our economy. And rather than, I mean, if we're afraid that Huawei, the leader, world leader now in 5G technologies, if we're doing all this because we're afraid China is going to overtake us, the reason China is potentially going to overtake us is because their government invests much more in new industries than our government does. Well if that's the problem the solution is for our government to invest much more in new industries than their government does and then we can solve this worry and avoid a global economic crisis and potential military crisis so that's the solution and the hope that I think we should the approach that I advocate now so so I think we've talked about the big issues I think the most important thing for investors to understand is that in the in this modern world where money is no longer backed by gold the way that it was up until the early 1970s. In this new system we live in, creditism, credit growth drives economic growth. If we don't have enough credit, the economy goes into recession. So that's important to, to understand. Next, liquidity is the thing that determines whether the asset prices, the stocks and the property go up or down. What do I mean by liquidity? Well, essentially, it's the amount of money that the central banks create. And so it's credit growth drives economic growth. Liquidity determines whether asset prices move up or down. And the government is, is pulling the levers, is doing everything that it can to control credit growth and, and liquidity in order to make sure that the economy doesn't spiral into a, a new depression. So that's, those are the things that I always focus on in my work with MacroWatch. Uh, I monitor credit growth liquidity and government policy to see how these things are going to impact the the economy and asset prices in the weeks and months and years ahead
0: right so that was something um, you know, I just kind of joined onto your membership site and i 'm always kind of looking for new things to kind of spend my money on, especially for the mastermind members. Uh, if you guys want to join that, go to simplepasscaal dot com slash journey but um as I've always said before, you got to kind of pay to play and to get some of this better information out there as opposed to, you know, I think uh, too often out there, people are skimming on like the free stuff, that free one hour webinar that you're getting. And it's the same, you know, bunch of garbage again and again, as opposed to, you know, this, the good stuff here. Um, I'm going to display the membership site here. If you don't mind, Richard just so so some of the you, you just you, you do what, like a video every couple of weeks or so here
1: that's right uh, every couple of weeks i upload a new video these videos are essentially me making a powerpoint presentation so there are lots of charts that can be downloaded and i take the subscribers through these charts and explain what they all mean and yes. so every 2 weeks i upload a new video and Plus people who subscribe, they have immediate access to all of the vid- videos in the archives. This MacroWatch was launched in twenty thirteen. So there are now more than fifty hours of videos in the archives that subscribers have immediate access to. And I, I group these under categories so that people can there's a video index so that people can can look through the archives and find the topics that interest them most, and I've also made four courses. The first one was called Capitalism in Crisis, the next one is called How the Economy Really Works, there's one on Monetary Policy, and there's one on China's Economic Crisis. So each one of these several hours of videos explaining all of these very important subjects that drive drive our modern economic system and, and our wealth.
0: Right. And I, I think what I like about it is I mean, I just kinda joined on last month is there really isn't too much stuff. It's more quality over quantity. For a while there I was only doing the podcast every couple of weeks. Now that I don't have a day job I can do this every week. But you know, this is the opposite of your everyday podcast. We don't got time for that garbage. <laughs> we want we want good stuff. Um and I think I had up here a little while ago the um just you, you had it arranged by date. Um you know, it, it's, I think it's a good amount of quantity that that you're putting out here too. So I just like, so what would you say? Like, I just joined this past month. What would be like the most, obviously, I'm not going to spend 50 hours, not even eight hours watching these videos. What would be the best way to just kind of jump in and start absorbing? Like, you know, I always tell my guys in my mastermind, we're going to do the minimum effective dose. We're busy working professionals. What's the best, uh, your recommendation to tackle this?
1: Well, so MacroWatch really is designed to teach people how the economy really does work now in the 21st century. It doesn't work the way it did in the past when we were on a gold standard. All of the classical economic theory that is still being taught in the universities doesn't explain how the economy works anymore. So MacroWatch does. And if you are a real beginner at economics and don't really know very much about it at all, I would suggest beginning with the course called How the Economy Really Works. And that economics is, is not rocket science. You, you don't need to know calculus and physics to understand how the economy works today. It's just not that complicated. And I explain it very, in very simple terms. So one if you're a beginner, start with the course called How the Economy Really Works. If you're quite knowledgeable What I would suggest is then beginning with the course called Monetary Policy. I'm very proud of this course in particular. I've been working on a new book, and as I have gone along, I've made these courses uh, on the subject that the book was going to be about. For instance, one of the videos is a history of U.S. monetary policy. This effectively describes how the Fed has conducted monetary policy since it was created in 1913. It covers seven different periods by looking at the Fed's balance sheet, how the changes in the Fed's assets and liabilities explain how the Fed has conducted monetary policy. And if you watch this course, you will, you will be an expert in US monetary policy. And it's, and it's not only in this course, we also cover monetary policy in China and in europe and in japan so you will have a comprehensive understanding of global monetary policy and global monetary policy is now the most important force driving the global economy it's the most powerful policy tool that governments have to control our economic system and that's what they're using to make sure our economy doesn't collapse
0: so i will um you know this is something that i've kind of added to my reading material and viewing material um Definitely be talking a lot about about it in our biweekly mastermind calls. I'll be kind of, you know, we run out of stuff to talk about. I'll definitely bring, chime this in. And you guys will likely hear a little shade of this in the future podcasts as I kind of bring in my commentary. But as always, you know, do your research on your own. If you want to get your own subscription to this, I think it's, what, 500 bucks. But you've got a little discount for Simple Passive flow listeners. Go to richardduncaneconomics.com. And use the coupon code LANE. Lane, we, we were very creative in putting that one together. <laughs>
1: that's right. If if you use, if you go to RichardDuncanEconomics.com, hit the Sign Up Now tab, and it will ask you for a coupon code. If you type in Lane, you can have a one-year subscription for $249. So That's a 50% discount. And uh, as I said, uh, you will have access to you can become an expert on how the economy really works now and you will then be in a position to judge for yourself how new developments are likely to affect the stock market the property market commodities currencies gold oil uh, your
0: assets All right so if you want to be a cheapo and just get my Lenism uh, renditions and summaries <laughs> keep listening to my podcast thanks for uh thanks for coming on richard and kind of breaking some of this stuff down. I, I, I definitely learn a lot. People want to get a contact with you. go watch some of his videos. Sign up for his thing. <laughs> you know, don't ask him questions. Everything's out there on the internet. He's created so much, 50 hours of content. Wow.
1: Well, thanks, Lane. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I've enjoyed the conversation.
0: Let's do it again sometime. All right. All right. If you guys have any uh, follow-up questions, shoot it over to me, Lane, at SimplePassiveCashful.com. Join the uh, free investment club, com slash club, and we'll check you guys next time. Bye.